Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. This message is a part of our series, Cultivate, where we are asking, what things can we cultivate in our lives during this COVID-19 season? We're in a series called Cultivate, and we're asking the question, how can we cultivate our souls so that they grow healthy and not toxic? Today, I want to talk about cultivating courage rather than cultivating fear. There's a high cost to living in fear. I read a quote this week that stated rather powerfully, fear does not stop death, it stops life. The high cost of living in fear is that it causes us to shrink back from really, really living. In 1975, there was a researcher named Roger Hart, and he conducted a study on where children felt safe to to play. He focused on 86 children between the ages of 3 to 12 in a small town in Vermont. Hart would follow the kids throughout the day, documenting everywhere that the kids went by themselves. He took that information and he made physical maps that measured the distance that each child was allowed to go by themselves and the average for each group. And Hart discovered that these kids had remarkable freedom. Even four or five-year-olds traveled unsupervised throughout their neighborhoods, and by the time they were 10, most of the kids had the run of the entire town, and their parents weren't worried either. Then in 2014, he went back to the same town to document the children of the children that he had originally tracked in the 1970s. And when he asked the new generation of kids to show him where they played alone, he was floored. He said they just didn't go very far. They took me just around their property. In other words, the, the huge circle of freedom on their maps had grown tiny. He added there there was no free range outdoors. Even when kids were older, parents now say, I need to know where they are at all times. But what's odd about this is that the town is not more dangerous than it was before. This small town literally has no more crime today than 40 years ago. Why had the invisible leash tightened so much around these kids? Here's the conclusion to the study. Fear of the world outside our door narrows the circle of our lives. Fear of the world outside our door narrows the circle of our lives. And so I think in this age of economic uncertainty and difficulty and restrictions around social distancing, would it not be easy to narrow the circle of our lives? Is there not a temptation to live in fear in the confines of our own homes? Would it not be easy to live a very contained life driven by fear rather than by courage? Now, I'm not suggesting that we do something stupid. But, I'm, uh, but I am suggesting that I think that we can live with courage in our hearts and live courageously in the context that we find ourselves in. Today, I want to talk about cultivating courage and living courageously in the face of our troubled times. That includes suffering and economic uncertainty and maybe even hostility. When we're tempted to narrow the circle of our lives through fear, how might we, by cultivating courage, enlarge the circle of our lives? To do that, we're going to look at a number of themes from the epistle of 1 Peter. Uh, Let's just first understand the broader context of this book. Peter is writing to a group of suffering Christians living in a hostile, broken-down world. In verse 1, he addresses this letter to God's 
elect scattered throughout the provinces of the Roman Empire. They, they weren't gathered in one large space. They weren't in the safe confines of, of their own co uh, larger community, but they were isolated from each other in smaller groupings. The Roman Empire was a disease-ridden place. Unwanted female babies were left at garbage dumps. Masters treated their workers brutally. Men treated their wives abusively. People who didn't bow their knee to Caesar were brutally treated and, and even killed. Christians inhabited this space. And they weren't exempt from this. And because they didn't bow their knee to Caesar, they were, they were persecuted. These followers of Jesus were living in a suffering world, suffering alongside of everybody else. But their suffering was compounded because they were following Jesus. Because they identified as Christians, they were often ostracized and beaten and hunted and hated. They lost their jobs. They lost incomes. They lost reputation. Some even lost their lives. They were in danger of living in fear and narrowing the circle of their lives, so to speak. And Peter's writing to these people and he's reminding them to follow Jesus boldly and courageously and faithfully and perseveringly in the face of suffering and uncertainty and even persecution. The overarching theme of 1 Peter is a reminder to these Christians that ultimately God himself and their faith in him is the source of courage in the midst of suffering. 1 Peter 2.10, Peter reminds us about a powerful story from the life of the prophet Hosea, where the prophet is called by God to marry and then remain faithful to an unfaithful wife. And he does this to illustrate God's own faithful, redeeming love toward his people. 1 Peter 2.10, Peter Peter applies Hosea's words, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter wants them and us to know that we are God's people and we belong to him. And it's because of his faithfulness. It's not because we're faithful or because we always get it right, but it's because of God's faithfulness and God's mercy and God's kindness toward us. We're connected to God and nothing, not our fickleness, not our frailty, not even a worldwide pandemic can change that. We are his people. He wants us to know we belong to him and our courage doesn't come from our own efforts or our own abilities or our success or economic stability, our popularity, but the fact that God has chosen us and we belong to him. Regardless of what comes our way, we belong to God. And I'm, I'm going to take some of the larger themes from 1 Peter that show us how this relationship with God and belonging to God can actually cultivate courage and enable us to live courageously. There are four themes I want to, I want to hit on today. First of all, we can live courageously because we have a living hope through Christ. Glenn and Tammy are going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. So hear the word of the Lord as they read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In 1 Peter 1.3, he writes, He, that's God, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We, we have new birth into a living hope. New birth refers to the fact that we have new life in Christ. It's a fresh start, a, a new spiritual beginning. Just as we were born once physically, we're, we're now born spiritually. Our sins are forgiven, the past is behind us. And here's the deal, the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us. We have a new birth made possible by God's Spirit. Church, we have the presence and the power of God dwelling in us. The Apostle Paul prays in Ephesians that we would realize that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. Shalina Bullian sent me this quote from A.W. Tozier this week. He writes, I think there can be no doubt that the need above all needs in the church at this moment is the power of the Holy Spirit. More education, better organization, finer equipment, more advanced methods are all unavailing. It's like bringing a respirator after the patient is dead. Good as they are, they can never bring life. Good as they are, they can never bring power. All of this, all of this hinges on the historical reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus died on the cross for our sins to reconcile us to God and he rose with victory over sin and death. And through the resurrection of Jesus, we are born into a hope that is alive because Jesus defeated death for us. Regardless of what's happening around you, sickness, betrayal, grief, rejection, pandemic, regardless of what's happening, we can lay claim to the fact that good is coming to us in the future because we have a living hope. And this hope is imperishable. It will never fade. It will never wear out. It will never die. Everything else may crumble. Everything else is going to wear out and change. But, the but because of the resurrection of Jesus, you have a hope that will never fail. And this hope is protected. It's being kept in heaven for you as you journey through this suffering world. You belong to God and you have a living hope. Claim that. Embrace that as part of who you are. Secondly, you can live courageously because your suffering is being repurposed. Peter writes a lot about suffering and actually about the expectation of suffering and that Christians shouldn't be surprised by their suffering. I think, I think we're often surprised because we've wrongfully thought that following Jesus would lead us to an easier life. We think that following Jesus means that we'll somehow be bubble wrap protected from the trials of life, from suffering in life. We've wrongfully thought even that a loving God wouldn't, wouldn't allow us to walk through suffering. And then imagine our surprise when we find out that following Jesus doesn't remove us from suffering. And so Peter writes, dear friends, don't be surprised as at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though something strange were happening to you. When we were walking on the Camino de Santiago, I, I had prepared for blisters. Everything I read told me that I, I, I would get a blister on the Camino de Santiago. Uh, pretty much everybody gets a blister. We, we walked for days, though, and I had no blisters on my feet. Uh, we walked for a couple of weeks, and I had no blisters on my feet. And I made the assumption that I was good to go. I mean, everyone around me was getting blisters. Some people were getting blisters so bad that they decided to quit walking. 
And then one day, exactly two weeks into the journey, two weeks, 14 days of walking, no blisters. Two weeks in, I get a blister on my baby toe. And it's a tiny little blister that begins to grow and eventually it balloons. And it popped. And it was so uncomfortable and so painful. I commented to Wendy a few times as I hobbled along and gingerly treated it. I said, I can't believe I got that blister. Why would I get one now and not a week ago? I was kind of musing out loud and complaining at the same time. Now, why, why not like in the first week? Why now, two weeks in, 14 days in, why would I get a blister? Were my boots too tight? What's the deal? Wendy looked at me and she literally quoted this verse. Gotta love it when people do that to you, right? Graham, why do you act so surprised at this fiery ordeal? As though something strange were happening to you. You knew you'd get blisters. You brought a blister kit. You prepared yourself for blisters. Why are you surprised? And as we go back to this passage read by Glenn and Tammy, he writes, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Peter is telling us that because we belong to God, our suffering can actually get repurposed by God. It can act like a refining agent for our faith. God can take suffering and use it to mature us and make us stronger and get rid of the impurities in our faith and in our lives and ultimately make us more like Jesus. A pastor named Craig Groeschel said, don't look at life from a perspective of pain. Try to see your pain from a perspective of purpose. God will often use our pain for his greater purpose. We, we may not know what that purpose is, and I, I would suggest that you wouldn't even try to guess, because if you guessed, you would probably get it wrong. It's never a good idea to try to figure out what God's purpose is in all of our pain, but uh, we can trust that God could accomplish his purpose through our suffering. It, it means that in the midst of, of, of uncertainty and in the midst of suffering and and in the midst of instability, when, when life is going haywire, when life is going wrong, we've got a God that actually tends over us. We've got a God who actually can work in us and through us and the scenarios and circumstances of our lives to accomplish uh, something for our good and his glory. That, that fact alone can help us to live with courage when everything else around us is blowing up. And then thirdly, you can live with courage because your life has a greater purpose. Annalie and Stefan are going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, and chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. So hear the word of the Lord. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. 
So there's a lot going on here, but if you pay special attention to uh, an image drawn from the Old Testament that he uses twice in this passage, you'll see the significance. The image he draws is from the Old Testament priesthood, and he calls us holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. He uses that term twice. We could say that, that Israel's priesthood is a picture of the church. And Israel's priests were those who pointed the way for the people of Israel to draw close to God. And then they were to convey God's blessing to God's people. They pointed people to God, helped them to have a relationship with God, drew them into a relationship with God, made that po- helped to make that possible for them. And then they conveyed God's blessing to people. Uh, I think that we oftentimes uh, forget our identity as priests to the world. We, we often lose sight of the fact that we belong to God. And because we belong to God, we actually have a purpose that goes beyond protecting our own little home and our own little family and our own little lives. Your life is not ultimately about what you think it's about. It's not about making more money. It's not about running a business. It's, it's not about building up your equity. It's not about fun and pleasure. The purpose of your life, if you belong to God, is linked to your identity. And Peter is saying, you are a priest. We are priests to the world. We, we have the privilege of pointing people to God and then blessing God, blessing people on behalf of God. We, we have a role in the world that involves pointing people to God and conveying then God's love and grace and mercy and compassion and goodness to people. Peter is saying to us, church, you have a job to do. You cannot shrink back to maintain your own little home and your own little life. You have a neighborhood full of people whom God loves and who desperately need him right now. You have a mission to fulfill. Find a way to do it, even with the restrictions that have been placed around us. Find a way to bless your neighbors in Jesus' name. Find a way to help them find God. One of the things that we've resourced you with with was a card that you could take to your neighbors with your contact info, saying if you need help, I'm, I'm here to help at no charge, and I'll do it with appropriate socially distancing measures in place. Wendy and I um, walk around our town, and we, we pray for the people of our town, and we've been keeping in contact with our, our neighbors, just, just being a good neighbor. Uh, many of you have shared how conversations with others about God have been opening up as a result of this pandemic and how you're stepping into those conversations with boldness. Now is the time, church, to point people to God and convey his blessing to them. This pandemic is not a time to withdraw, but a, but a time to live into our identity as, as a holy and a royal priesthood. You have an identity and a calling. Draw courage from that. And then fourthly and lastly, you, you can live with courage because you belong to a larger family. Lainey Davidson is going to read a section of scripture for us from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Hear the word of the Lord. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the word of God. If anyone serves, they should do with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power, forever and ever. Amen. So Peter is telling us that we belong to a family, and that we we need to draw near to our family, pray together, love each other deeply, offer hospitality without grumbling, even if it's on Zoom. 
Use your gifts to serve one another. Speak encouragingly to one another. We, we can't stop being the church if we're going to cultivate courage and live courageously. And I've, I've heard some sentiment, you know, that ah, I just can't wait for church to start. Then we can start being the church again. And I don't love online groups. And so I'm going to withdraw from online groups. Hey, people will date online and meet the person that they're going to marry and spend the rest of their lives with. Surely we can do small group online. Can't we church? I think we can. One of the key sources of encouragement that God provides for us is one another. We're supposed to function like a real community. Don't let the pandemic rob us of being a community. Let's dig in deeper and be a community during this time. I've been deeply impressed by how you've served one another during this time. The herds have dropped off cookies on the front step of homes. Har Harm and Mil Linda Mulder have phoned all of our seniors and have cared for many. The Kalers and Pastor Matt have dropped off cafe bags for our youth. One person I know of is writing encouraging notes and, and making up spring bouquets to drop off on doorsteps. Youth have met online every Wednesday. Youth leaders like Dustin and Raven and Linnea and Buddy and Jesse and Rob, Kaylee, Emily, Carly, Annika, Donna Lynn, Marvin, Alicia, Charles, Linda, thank you for continuing to lead your small groups toward following Jesus. Online prayer meetings have been deep and rich with times of prayer for our community, for our church, for our world. We've had as little as three and as, as many as 26 come online on Thursday nights together to pray. Life groups have met together online to do this. Some have even increased the number of times they've met. Thank you, life group leaders, for keeping community happening. Alpha continues online. Thank you, Alpha leaders, for keeping this going, helping people to seek Jesus right now in this time. Soul Care for Men is going to get up and running again. Thank you, guys, for continuing to lead men to follow Jesus and to find freedom in Christ. For all of us, let's be the church. Let's bring encouragement to one another. Don't shrink away from community, but go as deep as possible in this time, even with social distancing measures in place. Church, cultivate courage and live courageously in the suffering world. You can cultivate courage because you belong to God and nothing is going to change that. And because you belong to God, you have a living hope rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is dwelling in you, empowering you, and enabling you to live courageously. Your suffering is being repurposed by God. He's tending your life. He's watching over your life in this time. He hasn't forgotten about you. But he's taking all that's happening to you and turning it into something good and beautiful. You have a purpose to fulfill in this time. Your identity is that of a priest who leads people, points people toward God and blesses others in his name. And you have a community that you belong to that can be a source of your encouragement. Dig deep into the community that God has given you. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for the courage that we can have in you in these days. Help us to enlarge the circle of our lives. Even though there are measures in place that keep us distanced socially from each other, help us to continue to live with courage in this suffering world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.